And Adam Maya, have you booked your ticket yet? January 9th, 2017 in Tampa Bay, the one uh, and only national championship. Have you booked it? I booked it to Houston. My in-laws don't live there. Is that where the Las Vegas Bowl is going to be? <laughs> no. Not this year. I don't know. I don't know. You said it. With Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, love you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean right? about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the, okay. Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Best in sports. We start March. Yeah. And yes. And yes. Your host, our very own Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. Reading whatever is on the prompter. Defense is Sua Adori Chalk by the end of the year, not by not the way. Chalk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said I'll, I'll just read whatever it says, baby. I know. Yeah. Chris Morales. It's a touchdown. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? That's really a good one. Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. Is your host from the Yahoo Sports headquarters in Playa Vista, Chris Morales. As the man says, welcome into the Trojansports.com podcast. The evening of September 11th, 2016. Of course, as we everyone says today, 15 years later, never forget. Welcome in. I am Chris Morales. It is the Trojansports.com podcast, Sunday night edition. And the men are here that you love, Chris Swanson, publisher of Trojansports.com. Adam J. Maya, editor and beat reporter of TrojanSports.com. We are here to break down, yes, USC's win. It actually happened, and it happened bigger than we thought. 45-7, they defeat Utah State, the Aggies, yesterday at the Coliseum. To what some are calling an empty crowd, but actually wasn't too bad. A reported attendance, 62,000. And two of the people that were part of, not the actual reported attendance, but were part of the real in-person attendance, these two gentlemen. Adam Maya, I start with you. How are you? I'm great. I got a bobblehead. Bobblehead? Yeah, Marcus Cowan. Is, is that what USC's already going to bobbleheads to try to get people there? I think it was for the Utah State game. I don't know that they'll be doing that all year. Chris Swanson, did you get the bobblehead of OJ chasing Marcus Allen with a knife? No, I just uh, have a drawing of that in my notebook at all times. But uh, I actually got seven bobbleheads. Did you? Are they on eBay as we speak? Uh Yes, okay. actually, uh, it was it was fun because I just kept going down the elevator and walking up to different people and going, "Hey, can I get a bobblehead?" <laughs> it worked. I actually really believe you on all of that. You should because it happened. Wow! I walked he got out. Q. Of- he got two. Wow! And he gave one away to uh, a lady that I will not put on wax. Marcus Allen bobblehead day was USC's. Highlight. Maybe for some it was beating Utah State on the Pac-12 network, which nobody saw. But uh, some of us listened to the radio. Others, like Adam and Chris, were there. We're going to break down the game. We're also going to talk ahead for Stanford on our first 
podcast of this week. Thank you to everybody who supported us, listened to all three. Maybe you listened to two. Maybe you listened to just one last week. Uh, the big podcast we do here on Sunday evenings, if you're still not catching on, to recap the game, look ahead a little bit. The three gents that you love, the Chris's and Adam Maya. Then the message board show that happens midweek, midweek where we answer your questions in the Friday interview extravaganza, which wasn't as extravagant as we wanted last week. Murph Baldwin was a last-minute cut, but Murph has said that he's going to try to join us this week. We'll probably reach out to Stanford Rivals. Maybe we'll also get the Marcus Allen bobblehead on to, for his comments. <laughs> you never know what could be on the Friday uh, Larry King edition where uh, you know we interview people, we talk to people, we make it all mishpuka and all fun. So, guys, let's get into the game because that's what people want us to do. Um, I like our boards thus far because people seem to be in reality, which is, yeah, it was 45-7. Maybe we'd feel better if it was 77-7. Maybe we wouldn't feel good at all because we still hurt from last week and we got something really up ahead that's really the big test. So I guess I'll leave it up to you guys to start out. How do we feel? And I begin with Chris Swanson. Yeah, uh, I feel good and bad. I would feel good and bad if I was uh, interested in what USC's uh, you know season ended up as. Um, the good is USC on paper blew out Utah State. It's 45-7. Uh, it's a bigger margin than I thought. Uh, you look at that score, and that looks right. It looks like business as usual. Uh, 45-7 is what USC should beat a team like Utah State. You know, that's the way they should beat them every year, you know, whether they're, you know, good or bad. Um, the problems that I saw, though, uh, were plenty. Uh, I'm very concerned with USC's offensive line. I think USC averaged four yards a carry against Utah State. To they me, could. that's that's really, really bad. Uh, Utah State's a team that uh, USC should be, you know, getting close to 10 yards a carry or something like that. These backs should be exploding uh, for big gains. Honestly, a lot of the gains I saw come from the running backs were because they are talented athletes and they are making guys mix in the backfield and then getting five-yard gains, four-yard gains out of uh, plays that shouldn't be there uh, because Utah State a lot of times beat these guys up front. Um, that was That's it. I mean, Max Brown was pressured. He was sacked uh, multiple times. I thought the offense, as it has been on, in the Clay Helton era, didn't didn't get going and didn't really do anything. I thought the defense was lights out and kind of led the way, special teams plays. But, you know, I didn't see consistency from the offense. Obviously, they scored. They put Utah State away. They blew them out. But I didn't see that consistency I would like. And I think that that 45-7 score is a, it's a little bit misleading. It's a little bit different than some other, you know, big scores that you see out there. I think that, you know, sometimes you see a 45-7 to 7 score against a, a small team like Utah State because USC, you know, or another team would be up 42-7 to 7 at halftime and put in the second string. That's not really how this game went. I think that if a couple of plays went differently in the first half, it would have been a 14 to nothing game, a closer game. I think there's a lot to be concerned with. I'm not sold on SC yet. Uh, you know, it's a good performance. If I was a coach, I would say it was a good performance, and I would tell my team I was happy with them. But as somebody that's got to be critical of them and look at every aspect, I don't think they're ready for a team like Stanford yet, and I'm not sure if they're ever going to be ready. Adam, before you jump in, of course, you mentioned – you, if you were coach, you would say you were happy. That's exactly what Clay Helton did, and we have Sunday with Helton up at Trojansports.com. If you're not a premium subscriber, you definitely need to be because you get our breakdown, you get the audio first and all that good stuff. You mentioned you'd be happy with a blowout, but I, 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 and you kind of hinted at this. Would we call it a blowout? If Adoree doesn't return a punt back, 
If you don't have some special teams in the first half with a blocked punt that led to a score, you're not 45-7, more like 35-7. Not 35, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, would you would you feel that that's really a blowout? Isn't a blowout 66-7? Isn't it 77-3? Like Ohio no. State did to Bowling Green. No. Is it no, really forty-five-seven a blowout? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Thirty-eight point win is a blowout. If you're a, if you um, want to be a top tier, top twenty-five D one school. I mean that's I don't know I I don't even know what you're asking at that point. Thirty-eight-seven. By the way, I just did the math in my head. I was a little slow, <laughs> but you um, know what I'm saying. Yeah, a it didn't blowout? look. It didn't always look like a blowout. It didn't necessarily feel like one, but it ended up being one. So if this were the opener, we probably would feel better about it because we saw what happened with Alabama and because I think the remaining schedule, while not Alabama, would be closer to Alabama than Utah State. A lot of the opponents that are upcoming, especially Stanford, but I think even thereafter in the Pac-12, while the Pac-12 might be down this year, it's looking like it. A lot of these teams are notably better than Utah State. And the popular question coming out of the locker room was, was that good enough to beat Stanford? I'd say no. And I think they know that. They, they, I didn't hear anybody say yes to that. And if they know that, then that's what's important here because they have a week to figure some things out. Um, I think it begins with the offensive line, like Chris mentioned. I'm pretty concerned, too, because they haven't been able to run the ball consistently. Ronald Jones has a 46-yard carry this season, and then he has a 5-yard carry, and then everything after that, his other 10 carries have been for two yards or less with a number of them going for no gain or, or for a loss. And he's, he's your guy. He, he's the guy that if you're going to beat Stanford, you need to get 100-plus yards from. I think you have to have that. I, I, don't, I don't see how they beat Stanford without Rojo going off. And... As I just mentioned, 10 of his 12 carries in the season have been for nothing. So the offensive line is a definite concern. From there, I'm still waiting to see this receiving corpse emerge. They had a good day. Darius Rogers had a career day. And you see what happens when when he's involved and he's making plays. He caught a career-high seven passes. It opens it up not only for Juju, but for the run game. It's, I think, becoming clear that they're really a passing team that, that needs the, the pass game to work to set up the run rather than the other way around. I think that they should be a pass-first team. Now, I still think that their receivers are probably going to have to prove something for Helton to to go in that direction or for T. Martin to go in that direction. So we'll have to see what some of the other guys can do versus Stanford. 
<laughs> because it's gonna be a lot different than it was versus Utah State. Utah State, I thought did a fairly good job with Juju, and and of course Juju had a, a better game or was more involved than he was a week before. But um, even with Juju not exploding, you saw John Kaepernick get involved. Stephen Mitchell had four receptions, and I already mentioned Darius. That's a minimum, I think, for for this team. They they need more than that to play with Stanford. Um, and, and again, a couple other teams on the schedule. It's gonna need it's gonna need to be a, a collective effort because I don't think I don't know if anybody's gonna allow Juju to catch ten passes again like he was on a regular basis last year. I, I think that teams are are gonna make other people beat them. And so Darius stepped up to the plate on Saturday, and uh, USC is going to need more of that. So that's another thing that I'm still, you know, reserved about with this team. Um, the offense, it took advantage of some good opportunities. You alluded to the block punt. There was also an interception by Leon McQuay, who's playing exceptional right now. But is there an identity to the offense? Not yet. And uh, you, you wish that you had one going into the Stanford game. So the September schedule gives uh, gives you no favors. There's no there's no time to to figure things out. I mean, I, I guess this past weekend was that, but I think it, it's just going to be so different this Saturday the physicality that they're going to encounter. So uh, if this were the opener, you'd feel a lot better about it. But because they played two games and, and the other one went the way it did, I think that we can't draw a lot of conclusions about this team right now, especially in offense. Uh, I think you can draw a conclusion about this team on offense. They're, they're poor on offense. Their offensive line is so bad. That's why they don't have an identity on offense like you talked about. I'd say that when I look at this team, I think that the defense is done better than I expected. I think the the receivers outside Juju Smith-Schuster have done better than I expected, to be honest. I saw, you know, Darius Rogers make a big play uh, against Alabama. I saw Stephen Mitchell make some plays. Uh, they've been better than I expected. Uh the offensive line has just been so bad and has underachieved so much that I don't know if this offense can ever have an identity or can ever get going. They, they literally cannot get them. They cannot move the ball because of their offensive line. I can't imagine them beating Stanford or Utah or any team with a good front seven. I just can't because I can't imagine their offense moving the ball. Uh, when the, when the time comes, I can't imagine them beating Oregon either because I don't think they'll be able to keep up with them with that offense. It's a problem. That, that to me, I've actually been impressed with every other weak point that I thought USC was going to have. Um, I thought that, I think that they've overachieved in every, every position. So far, it's been early, obviously. Um, but the offensive line is just holding them back so much that I, I don't know what they're going to be able to do this year unless it gets fixed. Yeah, unless it gets fixed, that's the qualifier. It's week two, 
So I'm not going to write off the entire season. I'm not going to call the Oregon game right now in mid-September. I think that's premature. They play them in November. But of course, they can't play like this and beat Oregon. And I think they have a hard time beating more than a handful of teams on their schedule the way that they're playing. So that's one side of it. I think there's a lot to feel good about right now on defense and even special teams. And uh, it, it might if, if they can have that kind of game with Stanford, uh, not unlike the 2014 game that they won 13 to 10, or the the 2013 game that they also won on a field goal, a low low scoring game. Then it looks like they're built to win that kind of game in general, which it, it's not what we expected. And I think that's why we're maybe a bit disappointed in the way that they've looked because we thought that their offense would be the strong suit and would be explosive. But they're having a hard time running the ball and they're having a hard time, I think, going downfield and breaking plays. Max Brown's trying. It, He's definitely looking for it, but at the end of the day, he completed 23 passes and and didn't top 200 yards. And so that that kind of tells you all you need to know about the about the passing game. It's still a lot underneath, you know, a lot of crossing routes, and and that's fine for moving the chain. But I think they're better than that. I think they have more than that in them. I don't. I honestly don't. I, I until this offensive line improves. That's that's the whole that's the whole story to me. That's the only thing to look at with this team. Honestly, you talked about how you think that they might be built to win lower scoring games. I don't believe that they are because they can't run the ball. I honestly think that they're built to be a, a five hundred or sub five hundred team until the offensive line gets fixed with this well, schedule. That's they, it. That's they, the that's what this team is. Yeah, did you notice? I mean, they they abandoned the run game on a couple of those drives, and they used the pass game as a run game. Stephen Mitchell literally caught four passes for five yards, which I know he's capable of a lot more than that. Um, I, I don't know whatever happened with <laughs> all the uh, the downfield throws to him and, and the, the deep slants that we'd seen uh, last spring and and even training camp a year ago. But um, Deontay Burnett, I think, is a downfield receiver. Obviously, Juju is. Um, Darius is someone that, you know, he's a, he's a hands guy. He's a possession guy. But he's the one that's caught the, the longer passes for them thus far through two games. He had a, a 21-yard reception this past weekend. And then he had, the, I think it was like a 36-yard play the week before. So... I actually thought that their the pass protection was all right. I don't I don't think it was bad. Brown took a couple sacks. On one of them, he held it too long. Uh, the other one, I can't remember right now. But I didn't see him under fire like he was versus Alabama, where he really had no time. Um. So I'm not quite sure why 
why they're not getting more more downfield. They really haven't utilized the tight ends yet. That, that's a bit of a mystery. I mean, that's something that they talked about pretty much the entire offseason. And uh, we saw Daniel Mitchell-Baby come in at the end of the game, and maybe that's him getting acclimated, and, and he'll play a bigger role each week because he's really the guy that's built to do it most. But Tyler Petit can go downfield as well. Um, Taylor McNamara is, is you know more of your traditional blocking guy, but he plays a lot. So and maybe it's just a matter of using or putting Tyler Petit on the field more. And Daniel Mutorbebe, but I, I think the tight ends are going to be going to be crucial. I think that they give uh, they they yeah they give, they give the defense something else to to worry about. They add another dimension to the entire offense, and so far, um, they they've been mostly ignored. Well, I think I I have an answer as to why, and also an answer as to why they they can't throw the ball downfield very successfully right now. Go for um, it. Well. Teams can double Juju and still stop the run game. That's the yeah. problem that they're having right now. So basically, they, they're still covering everybody. They have two guys on Juju, and they're stopping the run. So what can, what can they do about that unless their offensive line gets better? For the tight ends, I think that you're seeing a problem where they they use a lot of receivers because they don't want the game to be in tight because they'll lose that game with mm-hmm. their offensive mm-hmm. line. And then when they do bring in a tight end, they have to use him to help uh, uh, with blocking more than passing. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm seeing right now. I'm seeing an offense that's just completely handicapped. Um, I'm seeing, you know, we talked about using the receivers as a part of the run game, the screen games. Utah State, at times, they knew that those screen passes were coming. It reminds me of 2012. I feel like it was the same thing. They couldn't run the ball. They could double uh, you know, a receiver in each game, usually Marquise Lee. And they were throwing screens to try to get it going, and teams started just predicting that they were going to throw screens and jumping on it. That's where I see this offense heading. I feel like they're, they're, they're just flailing, and they don't know what to do about it. Isn't, yeah. Wasn't this the game to figure it out? I mean, this sounds yeah. so ludicrous as a USC fan right now. I know you guys usually knock me on not listening, but this sounds absolutely ludicrous. This is the game where you blow the offensive out. This is the game where you beat them 77 7. Because if you can't well, do it to Utah State, how are you going to figure it out well, against they Stanford? Did. So they this did. was they, blowing out the offense. They blew out Utah State, but it wasn't it wasn't really a blowout because they have these fundamental issues. Right, it is partially coaching, but the the thing is about football, and this is just my opinion. Maybe right. I'm wrong. It's all about the trenches. That's what okay. it is. Yeah, no, that's is fine. You, is you win the line of scrimmage, you win the game. So you keep saying and, we got to fix the offensive line. When is that going to happen, and how do we do that quickly in like six days? Well, well you don't do it versus Stanford. Okay, so when do we do it? Or Utah. Right. So what's going to happen, guys? I mean, honestly, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't say your points are invalid. They are. But, uh, okay, what's Clay Clay Helton's plan here? If you don't think that they – I mean, you're already calling Oregon to just (laughs) dismiss it, and that's fine – to dismiss us, and that's fine. But when's the fix coming? What are we going to do? I think think we saw – an adjustment in the play calling. I want to hear what Chris thought about the play calling, but 
I, I felt like T. Martin maybe learning and personnel um, changed his approach with the passing game and everything was quick strike. I felt like some of the some of the runs were were too slow developing. And I think that's still a problem. And Chris is right about defenses being able to double juju and stop the run at the same time. Utah State didn't even load the box that much. They did sometimes, but not all that much. And yet we're still able to to keep uh, USC at bay in the running game. So I think that that's why we saw so many screens and so many quick passes from uh, both Brown and Darnold. Darnold only threw seven times. It, it, it kind of looks like a different offense with Darnold, which we'll, we'll talk about that later. But, um, Chris, what did you think about the, about the play calling in this last game? I thought it was, it was fine. Um, I think that they, adjust, like you mentioned, they adjusted because they, they know where they're flawed. Um, I think that there will be games that it looks bad if they're still flawed at the offensive line because you, you could call the game like this, they're not going to score points that way on, on teams that you know can play with them and hang with them on the outside. That's just the truth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I don't really I, – I think that it was a decent game plan and decent play calls given how handicapped I feel they are. I just – I know what's coming they won't score points. People will hold the play calling responsible. Maybe it's, it's partially true. Um, you know, and, and it's, and it's fair, but you know, I, I just, I don't know where this offense is going unless, you know, this is, they find a piece to put in this offensive line that makes it go. I've seen it happen before. Uh, I've seen that happen at USC before where they kind of fixed it and they got better. Uh, two seasons, actually, I've seen that in recent years. I'd say 2013 and 2011. But it's hard. Um, so we'll see. I know that – I don't know. I I would I say that the play calling against Alabama, I'd say, was atrocious because I just felt like there was no adjustments. But I felt like they came in with a plan against Utah State, and it worked, and they didn't really have to make adjustments. So I'm not really sure how to grade it, to no, be fair. Well, they, they did. The first quarter, they weren't able to move the ball. And it, it looked a lot like Alabama. But they figured out that they could just beat Utah State with their receivers and with the, the short pass game. And so they they really went all in on that. And I'm okay with that. I know that you want to be balanced. I know that you always want to run the ball and you want to run clock. And that's great in theory, but if you're not doing it well, then then don't. I mean, this game was kind of tight for a little bit, you know, uh, into the second quarter, and and I felt like again they were sparked by the by the defense and by special teams, but they also learned their lesson. With, with the offense and weren't as stubborn as before. They really didn't have the, the success that they would have liked on the ground until later in the second half when Utah State was way behind and probably worn out and probably a bit demoralized. And that's when we saw them run the ball a little bit better. So 
we know that it's going to be a priority and they're not going to just, you know, air it out each week. But I think from week to week, you have to be ready to just almost be one dimensional in, in the sense that whatever's working, go with it. Um, I think I've had this problem before. I'm reminded of the Washington game last year, which uh, I, I'm sure people <laughs> don't want to think about, but they ran the ball exceptionally well in that game, and they were dominating on the ground. But they were insistent on, on being balanced, and they, they couldn't move the ball through the air. But they kept trying to, and, and they didn't run the ball enough. And if you remember, they just scored the one touchdown, and they scored 12 points, which were both you know lows for the Steve Sarkeesian era. So we'll see. We'll see in the Stanford game um, what they've learned. Uh, this is still a, a young staff at the top, from uh, Clay Helton to to T. Martin. Those are you know two of the three most important coaches on the staff, and and we've addressed over and over their their first timers in their respective roles. So I guess I'm cautiously optimistic that they're going to figure some things out each week and that they would be a little bit more flexible going into the next game. This is a really big game for the, the Clay Hilton era. I mean, this would be the biggest win of the season. If they were to win it, it, it would just, I think, hold as their best win of the entire year. If they could pull it off. Uh, I, think, I think that's a somewhat okay point. I, I would hope it's not the biggest win of the year, but it probably would be, unfortunately. Um, Chris, before we get into the Stanford game a little bit more, I want to ask you guys, because I know I was fired up about Clay bringing in Sam Darnold in game one when he did, mainly when he did it versus whether or not he was planning to do it or the system that he wants to run of two quarterbacks. But what do you guys think of Darnold getting two touchdowns yesterday? Chris, I'll start with you. To me, it feels like USC is preparing to move Sam Darnold into that role. I, that's just, that's into, just what role? into the role of starting quarterback. I mean, that's just me from the outside. It seems to me like, they like to use him as a way to spark offensive production and score touchdowns, right? I mean, he he didn't get as many throws, he didn't get as many snaps as Max Brown, but his his in terms of how much he scored, it was right there. Yeah, he played, a, he played a third of the game. Yeah, and, it's and I I believe he led three touch. Well, he finished two touchdown drives and then he led a third. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, how do you guys feel about that? I mean, how do you feel about that? Is that what is that the, is that what we wanted? Uh, I feel that Sam Darnold is probably the better quarterback, and they felt like he wasn't ready to go. And we'll see what happens. We'll see when they feel like he is ready to go. Um, to me, I mean, 
it feels kind of like Florida back in the day when they won that national title, except, you know, Leak was it just worked enough, I guess, that he stayed the starter. We'll see if uh, that kind of works out for Brown the same way because it's feeling like that to me. It feels like one guy is the starter, but the other guy's the star that scores. That's that's just kind of the early feeling I'm getting on it. I don't know. There are a lot of games to play, so we'll see how it goes, but that's my read on things so far. Yeah, I have a correction, actually. He finished one touchdown drive. He led two others, and then he also came in uh, when USC had moved to the red zone for a, another drive that Brown had begun, and then Darnold was unable to get them in the end zone, but had been replaced before the, the drive ended, and uh, and they kicked a field goal, which that was really uh, surprising to see them alternate within the possession. So, I don't know. I, I might be warming up to it. I, I guess I don't, I don't know how to, how to feel about it yet because uh, it's different. It, I really haven't seen this since Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, and I didn't think it was going to be like this. But it's as close to a two-quarterback system without being one. Right? I, I mean, feel... Yeah, honestly, it feels yeah, that way. Yeah, like, I mean, they're using Darnold in the red zone and in some short yardage situations, but then they bring him in in the fourth quarter. Uh, it, it, the, game, the score was 31-7, which, you know, in the fourth quarter, it's in all likelihood, decided. But it was the entire quarter. And and Darnold got to play. And, and you know, it wasn't, again, it wasn't a red zone thing. It wasn't a, a third down thing. It was, you know, you're the guy. You're playing. Go. And he looked really good. He, he moved the offense. And while I think they're opening the door to controversy and the people – cooling on their starting quarterback and falling in love with their backup quarterback. I also kind of like the idea that they're so different that they make USC tougher to deal with. I mean, they're both weapons in different ways. And I think back to the conversation that we had with Tyson Hilton before the opener, or actually right after they had picked Brown as starter, and Tyson made it clear that we need both of them to be great and to win games. And why not use both? So I think it's really all of us that has to view it differently because we're, we're so used to one quarterback all the time. You know, it's unlike any other position on the field. Well, I think when, where, they, when they win a real game, we'll, we'll view it differently. That's like, that's what oh. I'm trying to pull out of you guys is is this yeah. does this feel? I mean, imagine is would we would we feel good about well, Matt Weiner running off the field and somebody else jumping into the end zone against Notre Dame as the highlight we always see? I mean, is that what we want to feel good about? Is that well, what we want to see one day? Yeah, you you can give that example because I think you know stylistically Brown and Weiner are, are pretty similar you know, physically, and if there was a another option. That was entirely different from Leinart. 
I don't mean just another pro scout quarterback. I don't mean Booty or, or even Sanchez. But I'm not even Sam talking Darnold. about. Yeah, I'm not even talking about yeah. that. I mean, that's good that you yeah. went there. I, I wasn't trying to make that analogy really but about body type. I'm just saying from a psychological standpoint. Yeah, you know no, what I mean. No, yeah, psychologically it's uncomfortable and it's right. weird. And and Max Brown said that, and Sam Darnold said that. Uh, I asked both of them about this, but if you're looking at it tactically, I think it actually could make a lot of sense. Okay, I, Chris, wait, wait, I'm, I'm, go ahead. I'm still learning. Right. I mean, no, I don't disagree not, with you. This I is what I'm trying to pull out of you guys. This is what I do. Uh, yeah. But Chris, I mean, you get what I'm saying, right? Which is you, you feel like – Especially it USC. should be one guy. Right. With our history of quarterbacks, at least over the, our thing, I mean, we watched... Nothing makes me prouder than watching Carson Palmer do what he's doing, like he did tonight on Sunday Night Football. Even though they lost yeah. at the end, that's a USC quarterback, okay? Right. That's what I'm getting at. Uh, even though Liner, maybe, and we, we had our battle about how they did in the NFL, but we say one name. That's what we do at USC. Yeah. When it comes to quarterbacks. Now, all of a sudden, we need two names? That's what we need? And I'm not saying it's wrong, especially if we beat Stanford, especially if we beat Utah, especially if we get on a run and we all forget a little bit about Alabama week one. But is that really how we feel? Is that what we want to feel about this, Chris? See, I don't view it that way because I just view it as if USC wins, it doesn't matter. You mentioned the liner, and I think that if they are, if they put in another quarterback all the time, if there were two guys, but they went 12-0, and no one would have cared. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a storyline. It would have been fine. Honestly, I mean, it would have been a storyline, but it, it would have been okay, and everybody would have been fine with that. And they didn't need you. That's, you we're go, not Adam. dealing with that. Exactly. This is 2016. This right. is a different USC team that just got smoked by Alabama by 46 points. That that Any of those liner teams, that would never happen. To that also the, is a very good point. The number You're one right. team. They were usually the number one team, but yep. if someone was ranked above them. They weren't beating them by 46. They probably weren't even beating them at all. No, that's good. That's the best point of all. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but this is why I feel uncomfortable with it is because I feel like they're setting Max Brown up for potential failure as a USC quarterback because you have this other guy that comes in to score touchdowns. That's what Sam Darnold does, I'm saying, at least through two games. This is what I've seen. He comes in to score touchdowns. You're going to have a USC offense that scores a certain amount of points. You have two quarterbacks that play, and the guy that plays less is going to score a similar amount of touchdowns. At least that's how it's looking so far. People are going to call for him to be the starter. When Max Brown makes his first big mistake and loses them a game, people are going to want his head. Because there's this other guy. USC created this storyline. If they had just waited and made Sam Darnold wait his turn, this would have never existed. So I get it. You know, maybe you're a coach and you're just trying to win games. You know, maybe, you know, I, I get all that. But I just notice that if I'm Max Brown or if you're rooting for Max Brown, this is very bad for him um, and could end very badly for him just the fact that you have this other guy there and you're playing with this idea that, you know, there's this other guy that can score touchdowns for you. If they're losing games, I completely agree. And that's really what this is going to come down to. But if they're able to win this way, then I think everyone goes with it. 
and, and people will buy in. When I watch Sam Darnold right now, he looks like he's ready to go. He doesn't look like he's so green and, and so inexperienced and lost. He looks fine. He looks good. And he hasn't played a full game. That would help. But Max Brown hasn't played a full game either. They haven't let him. And so they're both making some mistakes. Um, and, and they're going to. And they probably won't develop as quick as they could if, if one of them was a guy. But you're getting both of them. You're, you're getting the, the strength of both of them as well. You can't just look at it as, a, you know, as what you're missing because Sam Darnold gives them something that, that Max Brown can't. And Chris, you make a point during the game, uh, I, I think just to me, but you said if Darnold were the quarterback, if he had been picked, they would never bring in Max Brown. It wouldn't be the other way around where they would bring him in for situations um, or, you know, or, or to play parts of the game. They would just play Darnold. And I think you're right. I, that's what I think would happen. But because Max Brown is the more conventional, traditional pocket passer and really seems to suit the offense that they're playing right now. Because it's not a true spread. And it's not like they're having Darnold run every third play. That's not their offense. So because the offense still is appropriate for, for Max, you can bring in Sam and then just tweak it for him. Not much different than than you would at another skill position with with a you know with a running back or a slot back or you know like a Percy Harvin type receiver. So I think we're just not used to this at USC. You're absolutely and, right. And, yeah, that's and that's why we, you know we're, we're questioning it and we don't like it. And I. I'm not even saying I'm completely out of that camp. Because I, I yeah. cringed when you just said that. When you said the position thing, I cringed. Because yeah, all I can I, think is Wendell White, Reggie Bush, but Reggie Bush was still the guy. He was the guy. You know what I mean? Not always. But you know what I'm saying? But, but yeah. from a psychological standpoint. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and especially at quarterback. You, at it's quarterback, only yeah, one. right. It's meant for one. Right. It's not meant for two. It's not meant for three. It's meant for one. But it, it's odd. I, I won't say it's not. It's unique for USC. But let's see if it works. I mean, I guess give them credit. We, we've we uh, lambasted the coaches for not being creative and, and imaginative. And, and here they're doing something that I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that USC football has had this before. Um, I know the history pretty well, but you know there are some decades there that that precede my existence. Um, I do remember. A, I think if they a, were successful a, decades, you'd know about them. So don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, well, there was a two quarterback system in 1995 with Brad Otten and Kyle Wahlholz, but you know, Brad Otten was a game manager, and and Wahlholz 
was, was more athletic, but he, ultimately he was a, a pocket guy too. And neither one of them was excellent. So they played both because they just felt like both were good enough to play and neither were, were great enough to, to win the job outright. And it worked for them. That was a, a great season in 1995, pretty much their, their lone great season in the 90s. But I don't know that we've seen this, where you bring in a second guy who had, you know, can run the ball and, and really just plays differently. He plays the position differently, the way he moves, the kind of throws that he can make, the touchdown he threw to Juju. That, that's a special play that uh, a lot of quarterbacks couldn't make. But Darnold has you know, that, that velocity and that arm strength and kind of that, you know, that, that gamer mentality. Um, but I don't think that he's clearly better than Max in, in every facet. So I do understand why they would still use Max. Um, Brown has a, a really accurate deep ball. And it's a weapon that, that USC has been lacking. You know, they, they really didn't have it last year. And I, I thought about Cody, and I felt like I maybe even owed him an apology because maybe he wasn't making those throws because Juju was the only one that he could throw the ball downfield to, that he knew he could throw it there, and and it, you know that it wouldn't get picked off. I mean, Cody didn't, didn't have a great arm, so where he could feel good about it not getting picked off and, and ultimately it being completed. And maybe that's why he wasn't doing that. He did it quite a bit in 2014 with Aguilar and Juju. And so I, I say all this because Max Brown can get the ball there and he's going for it. You know, and in both games he's already lamented not hitting on a couple of them. And so you know it's important to him. And where with Sam, it's a little bit shaky when, when he throws past 20, 25 yards. And he's not as accurate, and uh, I, I don't think he's seen the field quite as well as, as Max Brown yet. You know, maybe he will soon. So, anyway, it it, it feels like a like a two point guard system almost, which you know is also a, a rare thing in basketball, but it, it can be done. I I feel like when it when it comes to winning, there are, there are no rules. You know, you do whatever you have to. So, Chris Swanson, were you? I'm do you remember that 1995 Trojans? No, I was five. You know, one thing about the 1995 Trojans, not the quarterback system, or that Keyshawn was drafted number one out of that team, the number one overall pick in the NFL. It was that there was a tie. Yeah, to Stanford. Yeah, and I didn't. Uh, uh, no, actually, to Washington. Oh, my bad. I thought, why did I think Stanford? It's okay. okay. 21 20, <laughs> And I only know this because I've got Wikipedia in front of me. 21 21. Uh, so interesting. I, I, I did not remember the 95 the Trojans that well either until I looked it up. But just an interesting little nugget there. All right. Well, I, again, I don't feel good, I guess. Maybe if they beat Stanford with a two quarterback system, or we'll see what sort of system plays out on Saturday, 5 p.m., up at the farm, Palo Alto. I guess we'll see how it all feels after that, but I still, 
and I guess this is why I was so fired up last week about what Clay did, just because I come from that fan of, and especially when it comes to USC, you, you have one quarterback, you have one guy. He's the guy. He's the captain. Cam Stabbin. But he's the, uh, he's the man, and that it just feels odd. That's all. Yeah. Well, here, I have a, I have a question for you then. Okay. Okay. Did you find it insulting or offensive to Max Brown when he got pulled in this game, not in the fourth quarter, but in the second and third quarter on a couple of those drives once they had reached the red zone? Yes, because, again, I'm not convinced that this is what we need to win yet. This win Mm -hmm. is fine, but... Mm -hmm. I feel that the quarterback competition in camp was led to believe we were going to have one quarterback. Despite what they were saying, I really didn't think that that's how it would play out because I'm not used to that at USC. I'm not used to that. I'm not a fan of that. I mean, I know it worked for Florida. I was never really a great fan of those teams because of that as well. Plus, I I just wasn't – I'm not an SEC guy. But nevertheless. So I wasn't as fired up, obviously, because I didn't think it would signal – it didn't signal anything because we were winning. It was pretty clear we would win this game by how much is what we wanted to see. I don't think ever I ever I never felt in this game that we were had a real chance of losing, but I did think again like, ugh, why are we doing this? That was how I felt. Why yeah, are we, yeah. why why is this necessary? If Max Brown is the guy, he's the guy. Yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of people felt that. Um, I asked because I talked to Max about it, and I can tell that he doesn't like it. Of course, he wouldn't, but. He did say, this is what I expect. You know, this is what uh, I understand is going to happen. And so... I mean, Max Brown isn't capable of throwing a touchdown pass? No. no. I mean, he did. He threw two. But you get what but, I'm saying. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And, uh, and I, I get more importantly, though, for, for these guys, I think you have the, the right dynamic between them. Uh, I'm talking about their rapport right. and their character. Right. Where they're they're okay with it. They're. I mean, it's a bit fascinating to me. I, I talked to both of them about it, and and Sam said, "Max is the guy. You know, this is Max's team, and and I have a role on it." And and he meant it. I mean, I, I've covered his kids for a while, and they're uh, they're both high character kids. And a lot, a lot of the conversation during training camp was about their friendship and everything. And uh, so it, it's unusual, and, and they admitted as much. But I think if they're able to sacrifice and work through, you know, their, their personal feelings and kind of put the ego aside, then it really is just a matter of whether it's effective. That's all that matters here. Because I don't think that you're ruining one guy by or, or you know one or the other by the way they're doing it uh, mentally. It doesn't seem as, as, as if that's the case. It's still really early. I know a lot of things can change here, but I've just been impressed um, by both of them after both games. You know, the, the first one, no one was happy, but um, they uh, they didn't seem distracted by it. And in the next game, they're you know everyone's happy, and and yet, like I mentioned, Sam played a third of the game, not just garbage time either, and they both seemed mature about it, 
And so that's why I'm open. I'm open to seeing uh, what it means on the football field. We, we, we just talked what, how long about this offense needing some life. And, and maybe maybe this is it. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is a detriment to the offense. Um, it, it's not, uh, you know, a, a sure thing that it'll work. But uh, I guess uh, we'll see. But, uh, You're just setting Max Brown <laughs> up to potentially fail. That's all. That's that's it. That's no, the only that's, cost. I, I, I don't know that. No, I think how, that, how no, I think that's not? an absolutely right point by Chris. Because to, yeah. to Chris's original point probably 20 minutes ago, the minute Max Brown does something, loses a game, throws a game losing interception, okay, against you know Notre Dame right at the end, people are going to say, uh oh, why not start Sam Darnold next? It, because that's just yeah. natural. Now, do, does oh. USC have to listen? Of course not. But the point is, is that that blood will be in the water because you are playing two quarterbacks like you are. It, that blood would be already in there. Yeah, it's already in there. It is. Yeah. I, but, but, I heard people saying it in the press box during this game. But let me ask you something. If the if they didn't bring in Sam Darnold in game one when they did, would the blood be in the water? If we haven't seen Sam Darnold yet, and that happens week five, does anybody say a word? Yeah. No, that's my no, point. No, I think that competition uh, opened that door a, a while back. I mean, by them not naming Brown the starter coming out of spring, I think uh, started that conversation. Hmm. I, maybe I, 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 it was amplified by a million once they said we're going to play two. Yeah, that's it, my point. If they had just picked Brown and said he's the guy, we're playing one guy unless he gets hurt. You know, you're probably not going to see Sam Darnold too much. It would it would never be a problem. No, we, we live in an information age, and it seemed like everybody was watching this competition play out in real time. Yes, and where where they were. They wanted to know every completion in practice. Adam, and, I completely agree. But what was the, the point coaches. of the competition? And Darnold, Darnold had played so well in training camp. I get it. That when he didn't win the job, people still they felt like he should win the job, and they wanted him to play. But what was the but point once- of the competition? We're playing two quarterbacks to to start. So one guy starts and the other guy scores touchdowns? (laughs) The point was to see if Sam Darnold was ready to be the full-time starter, and he's not, so he's the part-time starter. Right, exactly. Just like a part-time lover. It doesn't work. Well, but (laughs) here's the thing. This is why Adam's point isn't that valid, is because while all that is true, if the coaches had just said, yeah, the competition's over, Max Brown's better, he's our quarterback, that that thought might be there by some people that, hey, maybe Darnold shouldn't have won, but it wouldn't have been amplified by a 1,000, which it was when the coaches start switching them in and out and playing that guy and giving Darnold chances to score touchdowns. That's when it becomes a problem because Darnold's stats are going to be inflated with scores. That's what's going to happen. I'm just telling you. Yeah, I, Compa- I don't, I don't know that people care about the numbers like that. I don't. I don't think. What do you? That, yes, they do. No, they're, they're, they if care Max about Brown screws up, I, oh my, he's I know. saying if, if Max, Max Brown, Brown screws up. up, they're gonna look at the numbers and say Donald's numbers are better with less throws or comparable with less throws. Why isn't he starting? Max Brown wouldn't be playing part time if Sam Darnold had been given this job, which he could have been three months ago or two months ago or whatever else. This decision 
can only hurt Max Brown. It can't hurt Sam Darnold. That's my point. I don't know if it's going to work or not. I don't know if it hurts the offense or not. My point is, is that they're hurting Max Brown by doing this. Everything they've done since the spring has been hurting Max Brown. That's well, it. I, I don't know that they're going to use both um, that comparably. Like, look at the disparity this past weekend. Brown threw 30 times. And Darnold threw seven. And what were the touchdowns? They both threw two. Exactly. Yeah. But so you're going to look at that and you're going to go, Darnold um, went five for seven, threw two touchdowns, well, let he, another touchdown drive. Darnold, yeah, but one of them he started at like the 12-yard line. I understand that. But right. once Brown starts losing or messes up and those mm-hmm. numbers seem close, people are going to want to go to Darnold. That wouldn't have been the case if Darnold had never played. Maybe some people would have wanted to go to Darnold, but a lot of people would have been like, oh, but he won the, he, you know, Brown won the competition. We right. don't know we'll what Darnold is. But We're seeing Darnold out there. You don't make now. coaching decisions based on the public, it's based on what you think gives you the best opportunity just, to win. I agree with you. I'm just telling you that this decision is setting Brown up to fail. That's all I'm telling you. That's what it's doing. It has nothing to do with the offense. It's just, it's setting him up to fail. People, what if they. They win. What if they win with two quarterbacks? Then is yeah. he the guy that's winning for them? Is, would they have one? They, win- they both are. That's I know. It's setting Brown up to fail. That's my point. If you had, if they right. Had, if it works, it works. If they won because if it doesn't Brown, work, it doesn't. It, it sets him up to fail. Right. But if it does work, if, but if well, it works, Chris is saying. Darnold gets part of the credit too instead of just Brown. Right. right? What's wrong with that? Well, that doesn't set him up for much what of an NFL future. About? I mean, <laughs> It's it's so crazy. It's like if they had won with just Brown, it would have been great. If they win with both of them, Darnold, they're sharing the credit, which isn't good for Brown. If they don't win, people want Darnold more. That's bad for Brown. Every decision they've made has been bad for Brown. Well, I don't know what you're saying. I, I mean, you remember, you remember 2008 Florida when Chris Leak set up to fail? If they had lost two games because of him, yes. He would have been set up to fail because they probably would have switched him or people would have been calling for his head. Right, but they won. I mean, yeah, they, you, they were a national title team. Exactly. Team Let me tell you what that. this team isn't. This team isn't 2008 yeah. Florida. So we, yeah, I understand. But, but, that's, well, and that's well, Chris Poison. If you're successful, like, uh, now it depends on how you define success, but if, if they're successful winning this way, I don't think Brown is set up to fail. I, I just don't see it that way at all. I think that... Right now, they're trying to figure out what makes them best, and they don't know. And and that's and why that's, that competition that kept is going. frightening that they don't know. That's not USC. Well, that's- I'm just telling you what I see is that they've clearly they've made it very clear that the younger guy has a higher ceiling and is more talented, and they're playing him a lot because of that. Everyone knows what's happening, and they're not going to win a lot this year, most likely. No, so I, how is that good for Max? I, I agree with you that it's dangerous <laughs> if they don't win. I, I have no uh, disagreement with that. Well, we 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 won't we can't continue this argument because I think it's a good one until we see Stanford, and that's what's going to happen 5 p.m. Saturday up in Palo Alto at the farm. And part of what is going to be very important to this, because Stanford was able to put up 
Let's give me the. Let me give you the exact number. Twenty six on K State. K State's got a decent defense. Um, our defense, which was not good in Week One, and I don't know how great it was. I mean, we had an interception, but we still let Utah State put up two fifty three. So I, I want to ask, and I'll start with you, Adam, on the defense, just because I think Chris needs to calm down for a second. Um, <laughs> How's our defense? What what adjustments does our defense need to make? How do you feel with the defense heading into Stanford? What do you think? I think anytime you're playing Stanford, the first word that comes to mind for maybe anybody is physicality. You know that that's their calling card. You know that they're going to run the ball and they don't care if you know it. And what I'm most impressed with is how they figure out how to get Christian McCaffrey the ball in space, even though there's a giant target on him. Everyone in the building knows that he's getting the ball, and and they figure out how to create lanes for him, and they throw to him, and they just open things up, and, and they're just so creative. Um, he he really last year he really did look like Reggie Bush light, and I didn't I didn't expect to to see that again from anybody really. So so they they had a really bad they had a hard time with him last year. Obviously he he put up nearly 500 all purpose yards in the Pac-12 title game, and then uh, also in the, the September matchup he went off and he ran for over 100 yards and you know was making plays all over the field. So I don't know if it's as simple as just kicking him out. Uh, I don't mean like a bounty or anything, but. <laughs> Um, game planning for him. I, I don't know. It's it, probably not. But um, I, I felt like you know the, the tackling was an issue last time they played Stanford, wrapping him up. Um, they took bad angles. Um, and again, there were just some times where he was alone, which it, is incredible that he would ever be alone. Um, it, you, you know where he is every time. You know, I mean, he, so it, it's just hard to, to understand um, what Stanford's doing, but I, I don't get paid for that. That's a USC job. Um, but that probably is the key to victory right there, is um, being able to, to unlock that mystery, Christian McCaffrey. Chris Swanson, who's the guy that they bring in to score touchdowns for Christian McCaffrey? <laughs> Do we know the name of that guy? Exactly. The, the fullback. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't. I didn't know. They, they tell him to stop. Just stop on the four yard line, and we'll bring in this other guy to score for you. We don't want you to score any touchdowns. Uh, Chris Watson, your thoughts on the defense heading into Stanford? Yeah, you know, I actually I've been impressed with the defense so far. I know that that seems kind of crazy because you know Alabama scored fifty two on them. I get that. I've been impressed. I think they've been improved. That might not matter against Stanford because Stanford is the same thing as Alabama, in my mind. They're going to move the ball. They're going to score points. They're going to burn clock. It comes down to, is your defense good enough 
to hold them at the line of scrimmage and win some drives against them and to stop them? And is your offense good enough to move the ball? Because what it comes down to is if USC can't move the ball against Stanford, Stanford will keep going at them and at them and at them. And I think, well, USC has a good defense and can slow them down. Eventually, Stanford will score if USC's offense doesn't move the ball. If USC's offense does move the ball, I think USC's defense is good enough to keep them in this game. Yeah, I think we I, just have to see what happens. I really think that's what it comes down I to. Because I think that Stanford, they're the type of team that it's hard to beat them because of this. Because they, this is what they do. They're ball control offense, good defense. USC is either going to be able to play with them that way, because that's kind of USC's game too, or they're not going to be as good at doing those things as Stanford, and they'll lose. It's, yeah, it's I, a pretty simple game. The, the two wins that they got in 2013 and 2014 were entirely because of the defense. But the, the two games that they played last year, I felt like USC lost both because of their offense. Even the, the, the first matchup where they scored 31, um, a lot of that came early. And then um, yeah, they, they weren't able to to run the ball and, and then later weren't able to throw the ball. And and so I agree. I think the offense is going to make or break this game um, both for the defense and just for the overall team chances at victory. Um, one other point about the defense, a big reason why they came apart versus Alabama were blown assignments. And and that's something that you can't do versus Stanford either. It's a very smart team, very disciplined, where most everyone's going to execute the play. And so I think USC can match up with them um, uh, in terms of talent, like we we say, like we say often about them. Um, and athletically, they they have a. I'm, I'm assuming they have an advantage there. This is a pretty athletic defense, but are they going to be disciplined? Are they going to have gap integrity? Um, are they going to be able to compete on the line? And Noah Jefferson will hopefully be back, and that would be huge. Um, just what I've seen of him of late since he's been healthy, both in practice and the, the short time that he was in the Alabama game, he looks like he could be a star lineman. And, at, and if not a star, then, you know, an, an all-conference guy. He, he's a, he can be a great player. And uh, you, you need a guy like that out in the field in, in this game. So far, Stevie Kiwi-Kolovacu has been better than advertised, I would say. But you need, you need some help. He'll, he'll need some help down there. I think Noah Jefferson would be huge. Um, I expect Cam Smith to have a big game. He had a big game last week, and he always shows up to play. Um, and the linebackers have been they've been good. They've been good so far. It looked like with Utah State, they were the the, the defense that Clancy called was a bit vanilla, probably try, trying to save some things and and keep some things away from Stanford, who's only played one game and is coming off a of bye week. I, I don't think that's good for USC but people argue that both ways. Um, but I think that Clancy's skill um, 
is saving something for the Pac-12. It wasn't like he had to play every card in that Alabama game. After a certain point, it was irrelevant. And then they were able to win this game playing Utah State pretty straight up. So um, I'm interested to see what what they bring and what they do. Um, I think that they can keep this game a little scoring. And I think that's how they have to win this game. I, I don't think you want to get into a shootout with Stanford. Stanford can do that. They do that on occasion. Um, last year, you know, they, they really got into a rhythm and they were putting up 40, 40, 50 um, back-to-back weeks. And, and that's not, I don't think USC is built for that, at least not right now. So the defense obviously is very important, but uh, I, I actually think that the offense comes first here and how they're able to to manage the clock. And um, if they're able to, like I always say, if they're able to, to finish drives and, and turn, uh, you know, not settle for field goals, but, but score when, especially when they get down there. So um, I'm expecting, I'm expecting a good game in, in the first half, uh, like I was in the Alabama game. And I think it was a good game for a half. But um, this is also another game that I don't feel great about. And, you know, I don't know if we're doing predictions, but uh, I can see Stanford running away with it. We can do predictions because last week we weren't able to do predictions altogether. And Jeremiah Tenfold, I was disappointed. I didn't have a written out prediction anymore, even though I promoted it. yeah, well, he we don't. I don't put it in another, there anymore. Oh, okay. He was in. Um, uh, no, I, I know, but I, I was sad because I actually promoted the Maya Tenfold to have it. But did, did you read it? The Maya Tenfold? Yeah, I read it on the the crapper Saturday morning. But yeah, okay. You were All with right. me in that intimate. Good moment. for me. Let's yeah. make predictions. Why not? Let's it. do it. We begin with Adam Maya, who was already. No, we begin with Chris Swanson. Okay, Chris Swanson, go ahead. Stanford thirty-eight, USC thirteen. Okay. Oh, with conviction. Stanford's going to murder them. They're not ready for this test. If this game was later in the year, I would feel like they could be ready for it. They're not ready for it right now. I think if they played Stanford, Oregon, Notre Dame, anybody like that right now, USC is getting beat by three touchdowns. All right. Adam, I I feel like I'm picking the same score every week. Um, So, they. I, I don't know what I'm talking about, basically, because it's never right. But, don't worry, uh, that my works feeling, for me every week. Yeah, my feeling at this point is uh, Stanford 31, USC 17. And now, shockingly, for entertainment purposes only, Vegas has that as this at six and a half only. So, yeah, I'm I, surprised. I am surprised. I, mean, I, I, I don't know if they're just trying to get money in, but I, I don't know. Six and a half. Yeah. Maybe they're more optimistic Paul, about so- USC than we are, but I don't know. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, they usually overrate USC. They, they want the action. To be fair, I think we all said to bet on Utah State when it was at 16. I did. And, and SC murdered them. But I feel good about that. I mean, like, I, I, I thought the line was a good line for betting purposes based on what was going on, but I'm ultimately happy they murdered them, but still. Even though I don't feel like it was a murder. But you know what I mean. I feel a good, decent blowout. Uh, for me, uh, 
I don't know. Can I can I be the shocker here and actually pick USC to win? You can do whatever you want. Can I say USC twenty eight, Stanford twenty one? All right. I'm going with it. I'm a, I'm well, I'm the optimistic one somehow. You convinced me on this. T- you convinced me on this two quarterback thing. Really, Chris Swanson. I, I just want to know. Um, I I know that you think Stanford's gonna roll USC, but what what do you feel like it would take for USC to win the game? Well, that, just be specific with a couple things that you think they need to do to pull off the upset. I think USC needs to do one thing to pull off the upset, and I'm convinced I, they I know what you're going to say. They need to run the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and they can't do it. So that's why. If USC ran the ball against Stanford, this would be a very close game, and they could win it. USC will not run the ball. And because of that, they're going to put Max Brown or Sam Darnold, whatever happens, you never know, <laughs> into some situations that are really bad. And, and, and this offensive line isn't built to protect them. Um. I don't see the offense moving at all. So I see it being very similar to that Alabama game. Because I don't see Stanford scoring 38 points on this defense organically. I don't see that happening. I see it, they get short fields because USC can never flip field position if they get field posi- if Stanford gets the field position advantage. Um, I see Stanford forcing turnovers or, you know, just, just certain things that could happen that I feel like will set them up just score. I feel like it will be much like the Alabama game. I respect Stanford almost as much as I respect Alabama as well. Yeah, yeah for what it's worth, I'm in the same boat uh, on, on every front. I think that if USC can run the ball, they can win this game. And uh, I'm not confident that they can. They're going to have essentially the same offensive line that they had for the Utah State game. Chad Wheeler is going to start. But I mean, he played all but one series. Uh, actually, he didn't play the like the, like the final series of the game. But he came in after the first series after Chuma Joga was ejected, and now Chuma has been demoted to a backup. So you're gonna have Wheeler at left tackle, and then it looks like they're still alternating between Mama and Brown. Although Mama's taking the lead apparently at left guard, and then Nico Follows playing center. And Vianney at right guard and Zach Banner at right tackle. So we'll see if continuity does anything. But um, I feel like you need to get, like I said, a 100-yard game from Rojo. And I'm not really confident that's going to happen. He, he, he had some bruised ribs and came out uh, in the second half in the past week. But they... When do they ever feed him the ball? It's always a carry here and there. It, it's almost like they don't know how to run with him. Well, and especially and with offensive to, line challenges, too. Yeah, but, I, but I'm, I'm starting to feel like, like they don't know how to use him. Um, because even last year, he was rolling and he was averaging you know, eight yards a carry for about two-thirds of the season. And even in, in that time, he would get seven, eight carries a game. And then he started to get 12, 13, 14 carries over the final third of the year, and his average was cut in half, and he was averaging about four yards a carry. And so I, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we've heard that, you know, Rojo still has a lot to learn and maybe isn't 
all the way there with with pack protection and catching a ball out of the backfield. But we're not talking about that right now. I'm talking about handing the ball off to him and and going. It just seems like they haven't fully tapped into that yet. But it's evident that he can he can dominate. He's that good. He, you don't break the the freshman rushing record at USC if you're not elite. So um, if, if they figured that out, I'd feel a lot better about this game. But we've yet to see that. So um, I, until I see it, you know, I'm not, I'm not predicting it. I want to I end on something positive. I'm just going to say this uh, because I feel like, you know, I picked Alabama uh, – to blow out USC. I picked Utah State. I picked you. I didn't pick Utah State. I picked USC to beat them 21 to 13. Um, and I'm picking Stanford to blow out USC. I want to say that USC can change my mind very quickly if they win this game. Um, if USC goes on the road and beats Stanford, I believe they'll win the Pac 12 South. If they can win that type of game, I believe that they'll be able to beat Utah on the road and beat UCLA on the road and beat Arizona on the road and get through all these tests that I see for them in the Pac-12 South. So I wanted to put that out there. Um, If USC fixes this offensive line, I think they're the best team in their division. I just think they're right now. It's holding them back. Yeah, that's fair. Um, C-Win69 is going to like that I'm saying – you also just said two minutes ago that they were going to get murdered by Stanford. So I don't think it was too hopeful on that. But, but my, I'm just well, holding I, you to the record. That's all. That's all no, I'm doing. But I believe they'll get murdered by Stanford because I believe their offensive line is a mess. Right. I'm saying if they show if they beat Stanford, which would likely show to me that they that their offensive line isn't a mess. I think they're the most talented team in the Pac-12 South. I think they'll win that division. I just this one positional group is holding them back so much. I just don't see them being able to beat Stanford or to win that division or anything. I'm just letting USC fans know, though, that I still think they're a very talented team. And I think if they do figure out that one position group, they're going to compete for something special. I just don't see it happening soon enough right now. There's one other thing I want to mention. I'll be quick here. But they're playing Stanford in September, and they've done that the last couple of years. And right now, we don't know that Stanford is great. We're assuming that they're great. And I think it's smart to assume that they'll be great, that they belong either in the top 10 or the top 15. doesn't really matter at that point. But they were in the top 10 two years ago, and they didn't belong there. And they, they were an eight-win team, and USC beat that team because they were able to. And then last year, they were coming off that Northwestern loss. And so we all thought that they weren't a great team. And they ended up being a great team. And they, they were a top 10 team. And we just didn't know it in week three. So right now, a lot of what we're saying about USC is operating uh, under the pretense that Stanford is great. And that might not be true. That's what makes it fun. Absolutely. Well, this is the chance. You, uh, Stanford is a top 10 ranked team right now. The number seven, this is the chance for USC to knock them off of that perch. And for USC maybe to pop back into the top 25 if they can. It's going to happen Saturday, 5 p.m. National game. Another one where eyes will be on USC to see what they do. All the coverage, Trojansports.com. We've got two more shows this week, so stay with us. We uh, post on the board when they're posted. Or you could just subscribe on iTunes. 
shirts, trojansports.com. And if you don't subscribe, if you're hearing this show and you don't give Chris Swanson money every month for all the great coverage, all the premium coverage, you should be doing that too, homeboy. I got a Starbucks cup in front of me. This thing was $5 today. Okay, it was a venti black eye with two added shots. I did say black <laughs> eye. And five bucks. For another one of these, I could have subscribed to Chris Swanson's site. There you go. That's all you got to do. Adam I, Chris Swanson, it was a fun another Sunday night. And uh, we'll talk to you in a few days. Of course, again, stay locked at TrojanSports.com. Later.